Well, here we are. We return to the book of Exodus. So if you would, open your scriptures and find your way back there. And we are in Exodus chapter 12. As we continue seeing the plagues that God has brought upon Egypt as He prepares His people and gets them out of slavery out of Egypt. And you'll notice, as we're taking week after week to consider these things, but it's like the Scriptures now, as we come to the tenth and final plague, it's like the Scriptures go into slow motion. Uh, We went through the first nine plagues by comparison rather quickly. It was one, two, three. Remember, they came in in threes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But now as we come to the tenth and final plague, the death of the firstborn, things just halt, grind to a slow stop as we watch the deliverance of God's people in a way take place in slow motion. And the Scripture does this to, of course, highlight its importance. But it's an impress upon our mind that the way God delivers His people, it's something we should never forget. Because our memories are funny things. I want to share this with you. Quote, The videos and photographs show scenes from a full and prosperous life. Photos of a couple getting married, raising kids, celebrating the the holidays, and taking family vacations, write Woodruff and Patria for ABC News. They're precious memories, they continue. But the man who lived them, the guy who's in the pictures, cannot remember them any of them. In fact, Scott Bolzan has no memory of any part of his life story. It had all been erased. Bolzan, they explain, has an extreme case of what's called severe retrograde amnesia. He slipped in the men's restroom in his office building, and he hit his head on the ground, and he came to remember nothing prior to that incident. Now, the last thing he can remember is his feet actually going up in the air, and then he wakes up in the hospital with this strange blonde woman next to him that he found out was his wife, and he had never seen her before that he remembers. He then, over the next few months, had to go re-meet family and friends, be reintroduced to his children, embark on this journey of relearning his life story and rebuilding a sense of self-identity, the writers write. They now quote Bolzon, who said this, The best word I can use to describe it, he says, is just being lost, because I lost who I am. He lost his memory, and in that way, he entirely lost who he was. I mean, what would that be like? To wake up in a hospital bed, and then to truly forget everything about your past. Maybe it some small way, we're like, oh, good, I didn't want to remember some of those things in my past, right? But in the main, I mean, what would it like to be, forget everything? You don't remember your wife. You don't remember your first date. You don't remember how you got to know her. You don't remember your kids. You don't remember their, their birth. You don't remember their birthdays, ever. It's interesting, Scott Bolzan was sharing, he, he didn't even understand what a birthday was, He had to have that explained to him. You don't remember your job. You don't remember your training, your successes in life. You don't remember your failures. Again, that might be nice. But you don't remember your address. None of us remember phone numbers, so I won't reference that. They're all in our phones, right? But you don't remember your car. Imagine walking to a parking lot. Oh, yeah, what car was it today? You don't remember your favorite ice cream flavor, or you can't even remember if you're lactose intolerant. All of it, just gone. What then would you do? You're lost. You're having to figure out all of life over again. You've lost who you are. You see that memory is just so crucial. It's important, isn't it? Because it really grounds us in life. It tethers us and binds us to 
reality. And the trouble is, is that Christians, we evidently kind of struggle with what we can call spiritual amnesia. We are very quick to forget all kinds of things about our past, namely who we are in Christ. We forget what it means that Christ has died for our sins. We forget what it means that He has set us free from sin's power. We live like what happened in the past with Christ never happened. Spiritual amnesia. Actually, isn't it interesting? We'll see that this morning with Israel. But one of the greatest factors on whether or not you will progress in the Christian life is this. Will you remember? It's how good your memory is. Now, as I mentioned that, some of us just had a panic attack because you're thinking, especially the older I get, I can't remember anything. Well, I'm not talking about stuffing data or dates or even verse numbers into your brain. I mean, will you go back and remember what Christ has done? The more you do that, the more you can walk forward in faithful obedience. And so that's the word that God has for Israel, but it's what He has for His people today as we turn to this text. You can move forward, and you will really only move forward in the Christian life to the degree that you're looking backwards, to the degree that you remember, to the degree you remember where you came from, that you use your memory of redemption, of your salvation. So it is, never forget why, as we'll see, and how God saves you. Nothing so well moves you into holiness, that is Christ-likeness, and nothing so well keeps you humble. It's to remember your salvation. Never forget your salvation. And we'll see that in two aspects this morning, two aspects of our salvation. In first place, to never forget your salvation, you need to remember that you were saved to be different. We see that in verses 14 to 20. You were saved by God to be different. So you see, just God, there's this fallen humanity, rebels. We've all turned from God. We're all in that. And God has saved out of, in His mercy, chosen out of that, this fallen humanity, a people for Himself. But not merely that we would belong to Him, but He chose us for Himself that we would actually be different that we would be changed. That's why He brought us. You were saved to be different. Don't forget that. Now, for Israel, they were being delivered to be different because they're being brought out of Egypt. And the Lord wants to make sure they never forget where they came from. They never forget their past. They never forget what they've been rescued out of. And so He gives them this annual reminder to come up on the calendar. Verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Now, you notice verse 14 begins with this day. So the question is, well, what day are we talking about? What's to be remembered? And of course, it's the day they're getting out of Egypt. This is the day you can't forget. This is the day that must be forever etched in your mind. It's the day you get out. And this was a big day, and certainly they thought so. Because Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years to this point. That is to think back. There was no generation that can think back among the Israelites and say, oh, remember the days of freedom? Remember what it was like when Joseph was ruling in Egypt? All of them had died and gone for generations. All you would hear from your grandfather or if you met him, your great-grandfather, was all about slavery, was all about the oppression from the Egyptians. They knew nothing about freedom, and yet that was all to change 
in a single night, God was getting them out of there. But God knows what we're like. He knows our tendencies. He knows how we are all susceptible to spiritual amnesia. And he knows for the Jews, I'm not going to let you forget this day. You're going to get out of Egypt, and you're going to think, oh, this is what's normal. This is how life should always be. And so with that, he sits for them a reminder, no, you will never forget. You will never forget that you were once slaves. You will never forget your past. You will never forget that I'm a redeemer. This is your Independence Day, and you will not forget it. Because we'll note, as we keep reading here, God is really serious about them not forgetting this. Notice that in the first place, they need to celebrate for a whole week. So we might have a single day here and there where we celebrate some holiday. Well, he's given them a whole week to remember. But then second, note this, if you will not celebrate this day, you're kicked out of the people of God. You're booted out. Look at verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So it's a seven-day festival, one week. And on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anybody eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Whoa! Well, what does it mean to be cut off? We're not exactly sure. It could mean one of two things, probably. You were then either literally physically removed from Israel, like kicked out of the people, And if that's happening to you as you're wandering through the wilderness, things are going to go very bad with your by yourself, right? Or literally, and we see this through the law at other times, they were then put to death. You cannot be a part of God's people if you will not go back and remember. God's people will be rememberers. You must look back and remember. And the way God wants to make sure that they do not forget is that they're going to have this feast day, really a party. They're going to have a celebration, a great sacrifice. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast. So he's setting up every year. You need to stop. You need to first slow down. And you just need to think and remember. Actually, the way it's punctuated by holy days on on the first and seventh, you're not even supposed to do any work. There's really nothing to do but just to sit and remember, and that way celebrate what happened. See how important memory is? And actually, isn't it kind of a really hard thing to do? To like stop and not do anything? Some of us, we feel like we're totally wasting our time. Or how do you think about when that Memorial Day three-day weekend comes? You know, what is that about? For many, what does it mean when the coming up to Memorial Day weekend? The pools are open. Finally, summer begins, right? Oh, I can finish that home project before the summer really gets going. Or I can get out of town, do something new. I got an extra day. When our country's setting it up, at least by name, it's a Memorial Day to remember the fallen American soldiers whose lives that they paid secured the freedoms that we can enjoy to Go out on the weekend in peace. So why is it so important to remember? Because it explains why you're here, how you got here, what was paid to get you there. In other words, we can really just take so many things for granted, right? And that's what part of going back and remembering is so that you wouldn't do that. You would realize, no, there was a price paid. This was really special. 
whether we're talking about the blessings of a nation, let alone our tendency towards spiritual amnesia. To think, yeah, I deserve this from God. This is a good thing. Why isn't he giving it to me? I deserve this. We'll see Israel, they'll be tempted to complain in just a few chapters. Are we not the same? Maybe it's because we've forgotten. And so to guard against that, he gives them this feast. You're going to remember. And for us, as the church, what has he given us? Because we don't go back and observe the Passover. We observe Jesus' reinterpretation of it, called the Lord's Table. When he said, do this in remembrance of me. Again, never forget. We, as the people of God, need to remember how we got here. That means we need to remember the price that he paid for us. That means we need to remember the freedom that was won and bought, and it was actually accomplished. We need to remember that it was his grace to make us even God's people. It calls to mind that you were bought by him, and that for a purpose. You weren't saved by God merely then so you can just stop thinking about hell and judgment because those are really inconvenient and discouraging things, and then so you can get on with your life. No, you were saved to live a new life, to actually remember what you've been saved from so you walk different out of it. But to start there, you've got to remember. Well, what are they supposed to remember in particular? And that comes out here in verse 17. Here's what they must remember. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's this week memorial. On the very day, for on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. So that's what you're going to remember. You're going to remember that it was in a single day, God got you out of slavery. And he goes on, the end of the verse, Therefore you shall observe this day throughout generations as a statute forever. You, oh, we're setting up this feast week so that you would reflect and remember this. On this very day, I brought you out of Egypt. I did it, God says. I got you out of Egypt, marching like armies away from your enslaver, the most powerful nation in the world. You walked out victorious because I, God, did something. Now, we, I think we can kind of get our handle on that, but why is this so tied to this why is it a call a feast of unleavened bread? What does unleavened bread have to do with any of this? What does it have to do with them getting out of Egypt? But of course, you remember, right? We saw this earlier, that they were going to be driven out, even by the Egyptians, so urgently, so hastily, after this final plague, that they wouldn't have time to wait for their dough to rise. After the death of the firstborn in Egypt, the Egyptians are going to basically force the Jews out of there. Now, even as they come out, Lord willing, we'll see this next week. Look at verse 33 of Exodus chapter 12. As they come out of Egypt, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. It's like, if the Jews are still here, Pharaoh, we're all going to die. Get them out. So, verse 34, it goes on, the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. They didn't have the time. They didn't have the luxury of waiting around for the dough to rise. They were going to have to eat ancient fast food, flatbread. And remember, they were, we saw this last week. They were supposed to eat with their staff in hand and their shoes on, their belts tied up, that they were going to run out of town. But it's interesting then. 
after these hundreds of years of slavery, in just one night, everything's going to change. I mean, consider our own nation's fight for independence. It took years, right? What do we celebrate on July 4th, 1776? What happened back then? Well, it was our Declaration of Independence. But trust me, the king didn't receive it as one. It took years of fighting back and forth before America was actually free. Well, not with God's people. Once God finally said, it's enough, He declares you're free, they walk out, but only by the power of God. Such that they are driven in haste. It happened so quickly, they couldn't prepare for it. Why? Because it just shows God had to do it. They weren't preparing for this. They weren't prepared for this. But God was, and He did. And that's something they must never forget. You shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. It's really important, not for you, just the ones getting out of Egypt, to remember this, but all of the subsequent generations of Jews. You need to remember this day defines you too. This is how God saves His people. God makes His people. God saves His people. It's His work. And so now the implication for us too by parallel And of course, this means if it's His work and He's the one who saves, that means you belong to Him. That means you're His, not yours. Don't forget that. And we looked at it last time. We saw it with 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul puts it like this, For you are not your own. Why? Because you were bought with a price. We were bought by the, the blood of Christ. So the implication is glorify God in your body. You were not redeemed by the blood of Christ to then just go do your own thing. You were bought to be owned. You were bought to have a new purpose in life, to have really life. Well, what's the purpose? What is the new life that we are supposed to be about? What is Israel supposed to be about? Well, part of that answer comes as we turn now to verses 18 to 20. It comes in this whole thing about leaven. Let's look at it. Just observe as we start in verse 18, just how thorough their abstinence of leaven just must be. Because first of all, for a solid week, you cannot eat anything leavened. So verse 18, in the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month that evening. And to make sure you wouldn't like accidentally eat anything that has leaven in it, there can be no leaven found in your whole house. Look at verse 19. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. As if it's kind of getting tired of eating crackers all the time. You're like, dude, just throw in a little leaven. It'll taste really good. No, you can't do it. Or at least you shouldn't because the consequences for doing it are, are grave. Look at continuing on, verse 19. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land. However you got into the people of God, if you're not willing to go back and remember and observe this feast, you cannot be part of the people of God. Continuing on. By definition, you will be cut out, cut off. Verse 20. You shall not, or excuse me, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. You see, this this week-long feast 
It defines who the people of God are. It's drawing boundaries. It's drawing lines. Who are God's people? In other words, this day and and this ritual remembering it, it's identifying who the people of God are and who are not. And it's all around whether you observe this feast. It's showing to you, it's reminding you, it's reminding the world, you're different. Why? Because you've been bought by God. You're not like the rest. You're chosen. You're redeemed. You're different. You are God's people now. That's why He saves you. He rescues you so you can be changed, different. You were saved then to be distinct. You were redeemed by the Father to be different. You were saved to be sanctified. And that difference is pictured here by the driving out of all the leaven. Again, just looking back, look at back at verse 15. Again, how comprehensive this is. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day, so before it all begins, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So what's this picture? See, you're about to be Israel. You're about to be driven out of Egypt. But first, I'm going to drive Egypt and its leaven out of you. And dear Christian, this is the parallel. You're being chosen and taken out of the world, and He's taking the world out of you, driving out your sin. Indeed, we see this very pattern picked up by Paul and applied to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there or you can just listen. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul takes this, the picture, and he's drawing out the meaning of it all, where the, the Passover and this feast were all ultimately pointing. And it begins in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Paul talks to the Corinthian church. Again, these are not Jews. These are Christians. And he says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, for context, the Corinthian church, we know this from earlier, earlier in the chapter, they had been tolerating all kinds of gross sins horrible sins among their members. And it seems like the church, not only tolerating, it was kind of bragging about it. Like, yeah, that guy, he really lives an awful life. They really are engaged in all kinds of public sin, but God's really gracious, don't you see? And Paul's like, no, you missed it. We don't sin that grace may abound. That's not how grace works. You weren't saved from sin's punishment, so then you can continue reveling in it. You've been saved to be separated from sin. So Paul continues. This is verse 7. Cleanse out then the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, that you be changed, you're different, as you really are unleavened. What do you mean? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So church... Cleanse out the old life, the old leaven of sin. Just like the Israelites had to search high and low to find any leaven in their homes, we similarly, as God's people, we will not be defined by the old leaven of sin. Why? Because He saved you to be different. Paul goes on urging the church further. This is 1 Corinthians 5.8. He says, Let us therefore celebrate the festival 
And this ends up being the picture for living the Christian life. Celebrate the festival, but not with the old leaven, things like malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, you've been changed. We drive out the old malice, evil, sin, and we're different now. We're characterized by sincerity, truth. So church, yeah, celebrate a party. You've been redeemed. You've been shown mercy. But the way you celebrate is you drive out sin from your life. Celebrate not with the old leaven of sin. Be different. Put that sin away. Drive that old leaven out. Because that's, and here's the key, that's not who you are anymore. You're different now. As Paul will actually go on to say in the next chapter, Again, there's a line drawn. There's a distinction. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, though. This is verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 6. And such were some of you, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You've been redeemed. You've been changed. So live it out. Drive the leaven out. And it's interesting, even today, when Jewish families will have the Passover meal, as they still observe this, As part of the ritual, before they begin the meal, they have a time where they send the children off. They get scattered throughout the house to go looking for any leavened bread. And they're given, as their tools, a feather for scooping up any little crumbs, or a toothbrush, I guess, is the modern version. They're given a candle so they can go look in the darkest corners of the room and all the little cracks and crevices. And they're given a spoon so they can scoop up any crumbs or a cloth so they can wipe any of the smallest little crumbs of leaven up out of the house. And so then they're sent off looking everywhere for the crumbs. Because where could the crumbs of leaven be in the house? Well, they could be anywhere if you have children especially. It's like we have a rule in my house. You don't eat food upstairs. And yet I find food upstairs. How does this happen? It's not my wife, I'm quite sure. And so what does that mean? Once a year, you gotta, you got to look under the bed. you got to find any little crumb. Or what does it also mean? you got to lift up the sofa cushions and look under those. Oh, every crack and crevice. You can find like whole Cheeto bags in there. It all has to be sought. It all has to be found. None of it's allowed. And they search high and low, finding every little bit of leaven, just the littlest crumbs, and they get them out. So when was the last time you took that kind of inventory of your heart? That you took the light of God's Word, and you went to kind of the dark corners that you don't like to look in, and tried to see, well, Lord Jesus... Is there any sin that's still hiding there? If you could take the light of His Word and just go into every room, every compartment of your life. Again, looking in those darkest corners. You you go into your home life. Maybe it's part of the life that a lot of people on the outside don't see. Kids see it. 
Family sees it. Maybe it's your work life. Again, maybe your church friends don't see it, but your coworkers do. Or it's your internet life. You think that's entirely private because you erase the, the history. But it's not erased. It's leaven. Or the desires that entertain your heart, whatever they are, the very attitudes. Are you open to Christ going in and sweeping those out? That's why He saved you. He saved you to sanctify you. Or, as what we so often do, like when you have unexpected visitors at your house, you don't have time to clean out every nook and cranny, so you just look around, where's the laundry on the couch, throw it under the couch so they don't see it. And it looks, it looks okay from afar until you look real close. Well, Christ wants to look real close. And it's for our good. Because brothers and sisters, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Christ didn't save you to have you just be stuck in your sin. He saves you to change you. He saves you to forgive you, yes, but He saves you to be different, to sanctify you. And get this, this is the astonishing thing of that verse from Corinthians. As Paul begins it, he says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And then he says, as you really are. And what does he mean, as you really are unleavened? And he says, because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ has made you pure. And now he's calling us. We're pure before God's eyes, but now he's calling us. Let me drive out all of that sin so you can walk in that kind of purity too. And how I see you in Christ. He has not redeemed you to have you play with sin any longer. He has redeemed you for a new purpose, to drive out the sin. And now He calls you, don't forget it. Walk in that new life. Indeed, we were saved to be sanctified, to be different. But if we remember our salvation, we need to remember that we were saved by blood. Verses 21 and 28, back here to Exodus 12. So, we saw why we were saved, okay? We were saved and rescued by God to be sanctified. But now he turns to the how, and that also is something we can't forget, for it teaches us something so much about ourselves and about our future. We can't forget that we were saved by blood. And so it begins, let's look at verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. So he had already given instructions about this, the earlier part of Exodus 12. So there's a lot more we could explore. Maybe go listen to the previous sermon if you want more of an update. But we're going to presume upon some of those things we taught last time. But he'd given the instructions, but now they're going to execute them. Quite literally, execute the lambs, right? But it's not enough just for it killing to be made, but they had to take the blood and spread it all over the door of the house. Look at verse 22. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood. It's kind of like a paintbrush now that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. The entryway of the house gets a blood lining. Now, again, this simply reiterates what Moses had already commanded them. But then he adds this as we keep reading in verse 22. And it draws out something maybe we assumed before, but now he makes it explicit. The end of verse 22. 
none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Okay. What's the implication? That night, as God's passing through Egypt to judge the firstborns, where is safety found? Well, by implication, I can tell you where it's not found. It's not found in merely being Jewish. It's not enough just to be born of a Jewish mother. That doesn't make you safe. It's not enough to even be circumcised in the Jewish ritual. In the same way, being born in a Christian family doesn't make you safe. Being baptized, being put in water and some ritual, that doesn't make you safe. Going to church doesn't make you safe. I don't know, getting a Christian tattoo doesn't make you safe. Nor does it more endanger you, to be clear. Wearing a cross doesn't protect you. It doesn't make you safe. No, Moses warns all of Israel, if you head outside tonight, if you go out through that doorway covered with blood, you're on your own and you might very well die. Safety wasn't being in being Jewish, having the right heritage, being of the right race, or having the right family or look. Safety was found where? Behind the blood covering of the door. As it says there, when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Safety is only in these home sanctuaries outside of those homes that have the blood covering the door. Why? Because we talked about it. You need death. If there's not someone to die for you, God's going to call you to count for your sin. Without the death of a substitute, without the death of another in your place, death's coming for you. Whoever you are or whoever you think you are. So for us in Christ, never forget then what your salvation teaches you. Your salvation teaches you you're the kind of person that should be destroyed by God. Your salvation teaches you you're the kind of person that needs to die because you're so sinful. Your salvation teaches you you could only be spared if someone will die in your place that's perfect. Now, most of us, frankly, that is just something impossibly hard to swallow. Because we just don't think we deserve it. We don't think we deserve to die, especially to be punished in the afterlife. That's not for me. You know, it's for the really bad people, like the oppressive Egyptians, sure, the, the hard-hearted pharaohs. That's for murderers. That's for the child abusers, the Hitlers, the dictators. Hell's not for homeschool moms or honest working men in their jobs or kids who are compliant and get good grades or faithful church attendees. Hell's not for small group leaders or whatever else we take pride in. Here's the thing. Salvation cuts us all off at the knees, cuts us all down to size before His perfect holiness. And it tells us, and we cannot forget, we are sinners. By ourselves, we go outside that door, so to speak, we are guilty. We deserve to be punished. 
That's what the sacrifice reminds you. You need a Savior. You couldn't do it yourself. You needed someone to come save you. I mean, isn't, isn't that humbling? Christians should be the humblest people, the most forgiving people on the planet. Because we know what we deserved and we didn't get it. More than that, we got bountiful mercy. But it's humbling, it's humiliating to realize that you have failed God. And failed Him in such a way, you can't go earn it back. You can't like do heavenly extra credit. Instead, what does it teach us? By faith, you must despair of your own efforts and trust alone in what Christ, the Passover lamb, has done for you. That's the only way you get spared on judgment day. If you hide in the blood of the lamb. Now, again, that's something we can never forget. And it's something that Israel, too, would never be able to forget, or at least that was the intention, because it wasn't only instilled as a memorial or as a thing for the people that went out, but for all of the following generations, they must remember this. Must remember what? Who they are. Well, who are they? They are people that should be judged for their sin. Who are they? They are sinners who need a substitute. Look at verse 24. Never forget. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. So this is interesting, right? They're in Egypt, okay, for the moment, and they're going to get out of Egypt. And where are they going to go? God's going to take them to land that he promised hundreds of years before to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promised land of Canaan. And they're going to get to enjoy the promises of God. They're going to get there. Remember when they first show up, Jericho's walls just fall down in the promised land. God's going to give them the land. It's going to be great. But as they're there in the promised land, God's saying, all the time you're there, you need to remember where you came from. You need to remember how you got here. Never forget, you needed the death of another to get you here. And so they are called to reenact that Passover sacrifice year after year after year. So that the story, the memory of deliverance lives on. Such that as they perform this sacrifice in their homes, right? The children are going to see and they're going to ask questions. Like, what's going on? Why do you do that? Verse 26. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That is the reenactment, the memorial of this sacrifice. Because remember, even as Israel supposed to reenact this, they had to keep the lamb with them for a few days. So you can imagine, you bring in a cute little sheep, and the kids are like, oh, let's give it a name. And you're like, don't name it. It's probably not a good idea. And then you killed little lammy. And they're going to be, Dad, why'd you do that? Verse 27, you shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck, judged, condemned the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. God tells us to do this, Johnny. But why, Daddy? Because we needed blood, because we sinned against this God. And at this, even that first generation who hears this news, what can they do but just humbly bow and worship? at the mercy won for them. Verse 27 at the end, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Why? Because they realized that God really is going to save them. By this blood, He's really going to forgive them. 
And of course, it was just a picture looking to the ultimate sacrifice where they'll really be forgiven if they trust in their Savior. Look then at verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and did so. So they followed through. They trusted in the word of God. They said, safety is with the lamb. He say, we will do this with the lamb. And as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did it. And so, brothers and sisters, should not we all the more be given over to head-bowed, passionate obedience? Because we don't have the shadows anymore we got the real deal. We have the blood of the Son of God as our Passover lamb. And that's something that defines you as a Christian. That's something God never wants you to forget. Okay, well, how can we remember? How can we guard ourselves from spiritual amnesia so we wouldn't forget? Well, in the first place, as we mentioned already, you recognize God did not give us an annual celebration of redemption. Even though we have Easter, but that's not in the Bible. It's not commanded. Instead, he gave us a more regular reminder, didn't he? Because Jesus himself, at the Passover meal, he took pieces of that Passover meal and he reinterpreted them, gave them new meaning, such that our church, once a month, we go through this memorial. As we read every first Sunday of the month, this from 1 Corinthians, of course, the Apostle Paul recounting it for us, but he says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And then he says what? Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He wants us never to forget. Well, for how long? For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, Paul adds, you proclaim the Lord's death for how long? Till he comes. We have no life apart from that body that was broken for us and the blood that was spilled for us. He wants us to never forget until he gets here and we can see him face to face. He wants us never to forget that we were saved only by his death and we were saved to be different, to be holy. And we do that all the way until he comes here. And so what does that mean in the meantime? In the words of Jerry Bridges, you need to preach the gospel to yourself daily. Every day. That means the gospel is not just for unbelieving sinners, it's for believing sinners. Never forget where you've come from. We need the gospel every moment. We need truth. And that's why we come together in part to remind one another that he was died for us, that he was buried for us, that he rose from the day for us. We never move beyond that truth. Why? Because of this. You need to remember that you are never beyond the reach of God's grace in Christ. That means, brother, no struggle, no sin, no mess up, no even besetting sin is too much for Christ to not receive you back if you come to him. But furthermore, we are never beyond the reach of God's grace. He can meet us there, but we're never beyond the need of God's grace either, brothers and sisters. Maybe you've had an awesome spiritual week. 
I was reading my Bible, sharing the gospel. I was, you know, serving the church, doing this. Well, amen, praise God. But you're only a sinner that needed a Savior to come die for you. And that's why we were right with Him. So how do we stay there? Stay in that mindset that we are a humbled sinner saved by the blood of Christ. How do we stay there and not forget? First, don't miss the regular gathering of the people of God, especially as we come to the Lord's table. Second, you need to be in the Scriptures renewing your mind every day. Otherwise, we tend to forget. And third, take the grace that you find in the Scriptures. Here's a, here's a little help as you go to the Scriptures every day. Like, what am I supposed to look for? Look for a big God. Look for sinful man and look for how a God makes that gap. That's called grace. And take those truths. Those are pointers of what he does in Christ. And use that kind of grace and be relentless and expose the sin in the darkest corners of your heart so you can bring them to the cross and be changed. And furthermore, daily rest in that righteousness because that's where the power to change comes from. The psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And we call to one another and to our very soul and say, hope in God. Why? Because he is our Savior. He is our substitute. He is our Lamb. He is our covering. He is our God. He is our Christ. Let us never forget. Let's pray together.